As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Stick around to the end of today's episode to hear the trailer of Between the Lines, The Athletic's newest narrative podcast documenting the intersection of race and football. Coming to The Athletic Football Show feed on February 14th. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, a special Notre Dame edition. We're going to throw some Alabama in there because uh, Notre Dame did just send an offensive coordinator to the Crimson Tide. And of course, we're going to rope a guest who doesn't cover Iowa into a Brian Ferentz discussion because that is what we do here. Pete Sampson from The Athletic, welcome. Good to be here. I, I can't wait to get into 20. What's, do you round up if it's 24.9 points per game? Do you round that up or how does how is that going to work? Oh, I don't think you can. I don't think for those who don't know, Brian Ferentz had his contract amended on Tuesday or on Monday, excuse me. And it's fat. It makes Iowa must watch football. But we we have promised you a Notre Dame centered podcast, and we're going to give you that before uh, we get into the Brian Ferentz discussion. Are we sure that Notre Dame takes precedent over this? OK, I mean, I, I'm just like <laughs> the, the inverted pyramid. Like, it's I don't Notre, know. Dame, <laughs> Notre Dame and Alabama topical podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Still, Pete, I'm not sure. Pete has very valuable information to give us about Notre Dame and Alabama. But uh, yeah, no, no offense, Pete, but. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, but OK, fine. Let's just get that out of the way and then we can dive in because I've got a lot of takes to get off on that. And they're probably the same takes as everybody else's. You know, nothing special. But I think I've this got. Is, but this is me extending an olive branch to the people who are like, please stop talking about Iowa's offense so much. I'm like, OK, I will give you the Notre Dame and the Alabama red meat. And then we will get into the Iowa offense discussion on the back end. So you can you can listen and then turn it off. We'll have already played all the ads. And See, then I don't and think that the people it. that you're referring to exist. I don't know anybody who wants us to stop talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've gotten a lot of uh, a lot of complaints of late, but I can't stop myself. And I'm sorry. It's just it's just how it goes. It's fascinating. All right, Pete, we got to talk Irish, though. They just lost their OC and Tommy Reese to Alabama. They're currently looking for another offensive coordinator. The, the report out today uh, from 24-7 that Brian Johnson, the Eagles quarterback coach who was the Utah OC, was the Florida kind of OC, but in name only quarterbacks coach because uh, Dan Mullen was calling the plays, but also, you know, great all-time great quarterback at Utah that he's one they've talked to. You and Matt Fortina had a, a great list the other day 
with some candidates on there. Uh, what do you think happens with this job? I think there's been a lot more NFL interest in the job than I would have anticipated at the beginning. Um, just cause I don't, you know, we don't talk about guys coming down from the league to jump back into recruiting and the NIL era and all that stuff. So that surprised me. I do think, you know, Marcus Freeman's his priorities, one, he wants experience as a play caller, but I think he really wants a good cultural fit in the room. Like Marcus is much more new school and how he deals with players. Tommy Reese is much more old school. Like in some ways he's a better fit for Saban in mm -hmm. at Alabama in terms of how he handles players. Um, so I think somebody like Brian Johnson, who's a name I've heard, I know there's been some contact with Brian Leftwich, which I I get is like sort of a preliminary, but yeah, and, and Byron Leftwich also I believe just interviewed with the Ravens. So there's yeah, he's he's he might just be staying in the NFL. Yeah, that that to me Leftwich seems more like a guy that wants to stay in the NFL, but like Notre Dame I'll listen. Brian Johnson mm -hmm. has bounced between both um, yeah. Utah, Mississippi State for a minute and Florida. So I, I will tell you from from his time at Florida, he was beloved by the quarterbacks in the room. Kind of the buffer between them and Dan Mullen, who is probably a little more similar to, to Brian Kelly or Tommy Rees in terms of, of coaching style. Um, but the, the difference was Dan was calling the plays there, but it worked out very well. You saw the, the development of Kyle Trask throughout that process. Yeah, and, and Marcus wants somebody who has a better understanding of tempo offense than maybe what they've had the last few years. Like Notre Dame is not going to jump into a lot of like – four wide looks like that's they play in the in northern Indiana but <laughs> they they played a very slow style of offense in some ways I felt like they played kind of more of an NFL style of offense mm -hmm. with Reese where it's a lot of pre-motion shift which is how Reese liked to play as a player but it was very slow it was kind of it felt laborious a lot of the time and I think that Marcus would like to update that and have something a little bit more I think easier on the eyes sometimes well, and, and the NFL part of it, though, is interesting because Notre Dame has a very good offensive line, very good offensive line coach in Harry Heastan, that they can do things because of the quality of their offensive line that look more like an NFL offense. Because a lot of a lot of college teams run these different schemes that, that look very different than what you see on, on Sundays because they simply don't have the athletes on the line to pull them off. Notre Dame does. I wonder if this is almost like a could this be like a, a Mike McDonald situation at Michigan where he was basically on loan to them from the Ravens as their defensive coordinator to prove that he could be a play caller and then goes back to the Ravens as the defensive coordinator when they let Mike Martindale go? Like, could it could it be like Brian Johnson? Maybe that's the situation. Like he could get the job, prove himself as a play caller at Notre Dame and then hops back to the NFL as an O.C., yeah, I mean, whoever gets this job, I think is going to have going to look great. I mean, they're I think Notre Dame fans are not going to miss Tommy Reese at the end of next season because the this would have been Reese's best offense. Mm -hmm. Whether he'd stayed, you know, with Sam Hartman here, got Joe Alden, Blake Fisher, Notre Dame's two offensive tackles. So I think Alt will be a first rounder. Fisher might be, um, but I mean, th that's when you don't have to worry about the edges of your offense. You can yeah. do a lot. I mean, that's why Sam Hart was one of the reasons Sam Hartman came here is like pro style offense, but also I am not running for my life at all times. Mm -hmm. um, so that, yeah, you're right. I mean, they don't, 
Notre Dame does not have to accommodate for its offensive line. They lean into it. Um, if you watch Notre Dame in the bowl game, once the fourth quarter came around, South Carolina could not do a dang thing about it because Notre Dame right. was just too good it's, up front. And South Carolina has some NFL players on that right. defense, like Zach yeah, Pickens. I think Jordan. I don't I can't remember if Jordan Birch was playing in that game, but but uh, Nick Emmanuori, who's who was only a freshman this year, is going to be an NFL guy. Like they had NFL dudes, and and Notre Dame was. There's a marginal the ball easily down yeah. the field. Um, and that's like Fisher and all our sophomores. It's not like these guys were seniors who had been in the weight room for five years. Um, so it's like they've got they've got a lot of talent coming back and they they got very good by the end of last season with he stand coaching them. What can I ask you the same question I always ask you, Pete, whether we're in person or on a podcast? Uh yeah. with that offensive line and the fact that Hartman's coming to run the slow mesh at Notre Dame. No, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Come on, uh, Warren Ruggiero for OC. Let's no. do it. All I want I mean, is I to watch I that. I removed him from the list. I blame Fortuna for putting him on. Uh, <laughs> but if if they don't, well, they're clearly not going to do it, but what is Notre Dame's offensive ceiling at the skill position players? Because that's like my obsession as it pertains to Notre Dame. Right. Like, do they have young guys coming up that are anticipated to like give them some some options now or – um, you know, or how much is the offensive coordinator going to have to, you know, work through that element? They had to fake their way through the receiver position last year. I don't think that they will this season. Uh, Tobias Merriweather had a whopping one catch last year. He he's a he'll be a sophomore, but they think he's got a chance to play beyond Notre Dame. Um, they have a four man freshman class. There's a couple of Rico Flores and Jaden Greyhouse were four star prospects. Uh, Greyhouse played in Austin um, at K Club next high school, so like pretty sophisticated offense he's come out of. And then they got Caleb Smith from Virginia Tech, who they really just need to be a rotation guy. But the receiver position, it it's not like it went from it's not a strength of the team now, but last year it was. How do we hide the fact that we don't have material here or we haven't developed it yet? So it'll be better. And like they, Drew Pine. Bless him. I mean, he's five foot ten, maybe. Um, doesn't have a huge arm. If you came open, he could probably get the ball to you. Sam Hartman is throwing you open, and yeah. that's a completely different style of offense than what they played last year. I, I do think like the receivers are not going to know what hits them when spring practice starts because it's just a totally different style of quarterback play that they're working with. I thought Mitchell Evans also looked very good yeah. in that tight end one role with with Michael Mayer not playing in the bowl game. Like they're fine there, and I realize this is just one play from a bowl game, that, and and perhaps I'm reading too much into it. But Logan Diggs catching the ball out of the backfield, how about a little more of that? He only caught ten passes last year. Maybe 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 he should catch a few more. Are we supposed yeah. to be three minutes oh, yeah. away from me being convinced that Notre Dame's going to make the playoff? Because this is like <laughs> we have we haven't talked D line yet, so we're, uh, we're no, okay. We I'm just saying, like whenever yeah, you have a, a quarterback like Hartman. Uh, and offensive tackles like that, you know, that's a pretty good recipe for success offensively. They have not had to beat people with offense probably since 2015. Um, they have they always been more balanced or defense first. They should be able to outscore people this year, and they might have to um, because their defense loses quite a bit up front. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about that because I, I was reading your mailbag and I was actually reading your mailbag questions 
And you get a lot of questions about the D-line. Yeah. A lot. Uh, Isaiah Foskey, I just saw him in the Senior Bowl last year or last week. He's the, the program leader in sacks all time. He's gone. Uh, you got a pair of brothers gone as well. What do they have now to replace all that? I mean, they picked up an Ohio State grad transfer and uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste, which sounds like a great old French explorer um, oh, yeah. that, you know, fit in with Notre Dame's backstory. So, but they just they don't have the high <laughs> talent that they did in the past. There's no there's no replacement for Foskey. So I think they're, you know, the guys they're counting on are Jean-Baptiste. Um, Jordan Botello had a couple sacks in the bowl game. He's been a rotational player, but was like a, a four-star recruit out of Hawaii four years ago. Uh, Riley Mills is a defensive tackle who I think was on Bruce's freaks list last year. Mm -hmm. Didn't really do a lot, do much last season. He needs to take a big step forward. They, he's like the three technique that you wanted to make into a big end and it didn't work out because he wasn't agile enough. So they'll bump him back inside, but they had a four man defensive uh, line class. They're going to need like, if you follow Notre Dame, you know who Ben Morrison is. He was a four star corner, six picks last year was rated just outside the top 300, but was a freshman All-American, like Locke. Um, they need a Ben Morrison-style story on the defensive line for the defense really to, to hit the marks that they need. Is Watts going to be the next great Notre Dame safety? Uh, great would be a stretch. I, okay. I think he will be the next good one. Um, okay. but they, not, maybe they, not Kyle Hamilton? or No, okay. not Kyle Hamilton. Like Maybe Brandon Joseph Plus. That was like... Okay a transfer they took from Northwestern that didn't really click as much as they thought he was banged up, but just didn't make the plays that they needed. So they're the back of their defense has some question marks. Um, Xavier watch should be good. I it wouldn't surprise me if they moved a corner back there just mm -hmm. to, to get more speed on the field. I, I, I am interested because it does seem like a tonal shift and I don't think they expected to have to replace their OC at this point, but here they are. This is going to this idea of Notre Dame playing shootouts, which that that could be what they play. And how long has it been since that was the that was the way it looked? You know, it's I mentioned 2015. That was like the Will Fuller, Deshaun mm -hmm. Kaiser. Uh, pro oh, yeah. size. That was maybe one of the great offensive lines in oh, college yeah. football history. Ronnie Stanley, Mike McGlinchey, Quentin Nelson, Sam Muster for Alex Bars. That was your starting line. <laughs> That's nasty. Um, all pros. Like some all all pros. Um, right, exactly. So it was, but that was it. And that, I mean, some of that had to do with Brian Van Gorder was their defensive coordinator. Like they had to. They had, right. to, they had to outscore people, people yes. Um, this year, I, I think their linebackers will be good. Um, you know, Al Golden should be back for year two. Um, That's sort of. Warren's watching, see what goes on with the NFL coaching carousel. Is there a is there a DC opening with the Cincinnati Bengals? That's mm. something that Notre Dame's monitoring. That's right. Lou Anarumo is a uh, is right. a hot hot commodity. If, if he moves to Arizona, then that's something Notre Dame's gonna have to look out for. But um, I think overall, like they've been so much better at DC the last few years. I mean, they went from Van Gorder to Mike Elko to Clark Lee to Marcus Freeman. Like Al Golden is the fourth of those four and is pretty good. Um, yeah. But they've had great DCs. Um, you, you know, it's that's funny why because they're not winning games and shootouts because they have great DCs. People remember Al Golden's tenure at Miami, and that's all they remember. He was a yeah. very good head coach at Temple before that. He was a very good coordinator before. Like he's a he's a very good coach, and I, sometimes we get 
we, we just assume if somebody has a failed tenure as a head coach somewhere that they don't know what they're doing or that they just forgot everything. Like <laughs> Al Golden is proving, hey, no, 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 he didn't forget anything. No, and it's like I remember talking to Freeman about this when Al Golden got hired. I, I asked him about Miami, and he's like, well, who's winning at Miami? And I was like, well, that's kind of a good point. Like, it's <laughs> to be a tough spot for everybody. Uh, but, you know, whether the job description of being the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes versus the defense coordinator at Notre Dame, like, forget the position titles and the responsibilities. Like, the just the people you're dealing with are totally different. So it's right. It's just a totally different skill set. And I think Elgo, Elgo, it was not Lee, Elko, or Freeman, but certainly somebody that you would want back for year two of your Marcus. Pete, are you seeing these uh, comments over here? Oh, this is tremendous. So the real coconut, can Pete make an audio book? I would like to fall asleep listening to him talk. <laughs> It is a but very soothing voice. Calm and, app. Yeah. and then do do the two one that's two down from that. Malcolm McDonald, voice that would make a Wolverine purr. <laughs> I mean, and, now, Pete, in our name space. The, the, the bar is low because these people have to listen to me and Ari every day. And yeah. I sound like someone stepped on a cat and Ari, you know, I just get yeah, voice I, is I'm not a, very pleasing either. So inherently <laughs> annoying, yes. So, <laughs> yes. This is but but your dulcet tones are a welcome change on this program because it also screams rational thought too. It does, you know, like when you when you're calm, collected, and and soothing well, like course, that. When Ari came on the Shamrock, that was one of our most popular shows ever because I think it was such a departure to like calm, dulcet. Oh, tone, and Fortuna right? has a mellifluous voice too. Yeah. So if if you you know you for those who don't look out, subscribe to the Shamrock. Yeah, it is a great podcast. It's it's Pete and Matt Fortuna talking Notre Dame. Uh, when four to six, uh, four to six, bit the, I said four to six, four to six, uh, you know, bit the dust. I was like, man, that's that's a uh, that's sad. Look but you know, we're going to do a live show in Columbus. All four. I know we had this all planned out, and <laughs> I'm, you, you know, know, I'm not sure I would listen to four to six, four to six with A and B. I don't think I, I don't <laughs> four, think I would listen. Sex, I wouldn't subscribe. Four to <laughs> sex with A and B would be a good OnlyFans for an Ohio State football yeah, account. Definitely not. <laughs> oh, good <free>. God. <laughs> We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Well, you mentioned Pete and, and the, the voice sounding relaxing and, and analytical and uh, like the voice of reason. Mm-hmm. I think Pete is a good way to describe your voice. I feel like that's necessary as a Notre Dame beat writer sometimes because yeah, they have a, there's a, there's a large faction of the Notre Dame fan base that is extremely rational, which I enjoy. Like they're some of my favorite people because they get what Notre Dame is 
how Notre Dame is different, and they don't get too freaked out if things if they're not winning the national title all the time. But then there's another piece of the Notre Dame fan base that does not care that some of these things are done differently, that the the program is put in a position that makes it where it's much more difficult to do what, say, Ohio State or Georgia or Alabama does. And they're like, what's wrong? Why can't they fix this? And it's constant. And you have to calm them down all the time. Well, I actually think that, and Pete, maybe you can confirm or deny this, but I do feel like there are certain fan bases that are more off kilter when it comes to reasonable expectations versus actual program ceiling. Um, And I don't know where Notre Dame stands on that, but it does seem to me like what Andy said of it is a conflicted fan base of two different viewpoints. And, you know, all fan bases have varying views of what their program should be or, or what it could accomplish if things were running at an optimum level. But I do think that it would be an interesting beat to cover because you do have rational expectations or the variations of what you think are rational. Um, Cause I think on one hand, somebody who says, well, Notre Dame is different. Um, it has other things that it has to deal with in terms of culture, location, and forced to recruit nationally and all the st- academic standards, all those things. And you say, hey, you know what? We're always uh, going to be a, a really good program, but we might not be able to compete with Alabama. But on the other hand, if somebody said if Notre Dame got things rolling the right way and got the right coach, they could use the academic situation as as a uh, – asset to their recruiting and they actually could bring in 25 guys a year that fit that description and be a national power. And I think both I could buy. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't want to go too far down the wormhole with Notre Dame, but it's like, it's a place that in some ways is in conflict with itself and always has been like, how into football do they want to be? If that takes away from the academic side of the, the university, those two things have to work together and the pendulum swings back and forth. I mean, they're, I was told like the university president before they built their new indoor, which came out online, I think in 2019, he was concerned that like, okay, is this, what kind of statement are we sending out to the rest of the university about facilities and for investing in football here, but not the new art Institute or the new architecture school. And it's like, what other school in the country is this conversation even being had? Um, You know, you see with NIL, they want to be a participant in NIL, but like do it on their own terms. Uh, and then you see what's happening in the SEC with how all in those schools are like just to have the athletic director say, here's our collective. Please donate to it. Like that's a Notre Dame is not to that point it's, yet. It's it's sort of like what I always say with Michigan. Like, I don't understand why they don't feel like they can have a kick ass football program and a kick ass children's hospital. Right. You can have both. You can be all in on both. It's okay. Like Ohio State is all in on all of it. And it's okay. Well, that's the the, when he was talking about Notre Dame a second ago, I just was thinking that's exactly what we heard from Michigan for so long. And Michigan is back to back Big Ten champions and has made the playoff two years in a row. Um, But also Notre Dame has accomplished that in the not too distant past two where they they made made the playoff. So. I, the thing I want to know is, A, are, are Michigan and Notre Dame similarly situated as it pertains to what their ceiling is? And do you think there is a second gear? Like, I think if you're good enough to win the Big Ten or good enough to make the playoff multiple times like both of those programs have done, I think 85% probably of the hard part is already done, right? It's like getting that that last 15, 10% 
And like, if you get to the 85, is it impossible to get to the 100? No, I don't think it's impossible. The problem is, I mean, this kind of loops back to what we were talking about at the beginning. When Alabama sends their plane up and lands in your airport and takes your OC away after they sign Keon Keeley, your five-star defensive end, who would have been the third highest rated prospect to sign with Notre Dame in like the rivals 27 wow. year after Clawson and Jalen Smith, like that makes that last 15% really, really hard. Um, so I think it, it has more to do with what Georgia and Alabama are doing than what Notre Dame's doing. Like when Notre Dame has it rolling, um, you know, covering the 2012 team, I don't think there's a program. I'm not saying this just because I cover Notre Dame. I don't think you guys can correct me, but like, I don't think there's a program that sucks up as much oxygen nationally. Oh, percent. I, I, I'll go back to the, yeah, that, I mean, that year, Manti Teo is a Heisman finalist. Like he's not a Heisman finalist as a linebacker. Anywhere if he plays else. anywhere else, like, and I'm sure now everybody regrets yeah. all, all of all, all of that attention. But, but that was like the only story in college football that season. Yes. Oh, I mean that Notre Dame, Dame is good. Yeah. And and I will say when I throw out Notre Dame or I write a story about Notre Dame, I get so many unsolicited comments like, who cares? <laughs> and I know you care because you wrote to me. Like whether I if I wrote the same type of thing about Oklahoma State or Virginia Tech or Ole Miss, you wouldn't say anything. But because it's Notre Dame, you have an opinion. Yeah, there was. I, I distinctly remember the day after the Cotton Bowl. Uh, it was when Notre Dame got housed by the Trevor Lawrence, T. Higgins, Justin Ross team. Mm-hmm. And I saw Max Olson in the media hotel, and he was like, "Hey, I just clicked on your story. Look, you had five hundred comments. That's great." I'm like. Uh, I don't know. Have you read any of the comments? Like there, people cannot wait to dump on Notre Dame, which look, Hey, it's great for business. Cause these people are engaged. Oh, yeah, Congrats. Absolutely. We appreciate you. Um, but yeah, everyone has an opinion on them all the time. They, they suck up so much oxygen, whether they are good or whether they are terrible. So Tommy Reese leaves Notre Dame on that lovely plane that Alabama sent up, which by the way, Pete, your picture from the airport, of the Alabama plane reminded me of the the TV station in Salt Lake City tracking the Notre Dame plane as they <laughs> went to interview Urban Meyer in 2004. Like I, I never like plane tracking season never gets old to me. I love uh, this out. <laughs> so, but Tommy Reese headed to Alabama, and this was a case where, and we've discussed this on the show quite a bit. Like Nick Saban wants you to come in and run Alabama's offense. He does not want, you know, he he appreciates your previous experience, but he doesn't want you bringing your offense whole cloth. He's going to say, here's what we do. You're going to learn our terminology. You're going to teach this this way. But the thing is, that offense is so broad, it, it can be kind of anything. But Tommy Reese seems like he's the type of person who fits what Nick was looking for. I think in a lot of ways, it's like a an updated version of maybe who they were offensively when they whipped Notre Dame in the BCS title game. The A.J. McCarron like, oh, days, yeah. You know, where it's like, this is built around the run. It's built around a, an NFL-style offensive line. Um, Reese is very multiple with how he uses tight ends, which not a lot of people do well. Um, and it's not it's not just Michael Mayer. I mean, they... They've had more tight ends drafted out of Notre Dame or playing in the NFL than they've had wide receivers over the last five years. Um, they, he knows how to get those kids, 
that position developed. And it's a real pain to deal with because not a lot of people do a good job of it. So uh, a lot of motions, a lot of shifts. I, th- I think it's very NFL style in terms of how Reese likes to run it, um, the demands he puts on the quarterback. I think my big question down there is, or questions is like, how does he make it work with a first-year starting quarterback, assuming they don't get somebody late in the portal? Uh, and then how did he adapt to a place where, I mean, I remember reading some stuff on Bill O'Brien and they were averaging 40 points a game. And it was like, well, he's got to go only 40 points a game. <laughs> the, they were ready for that to end. Man, that is a different statistical expectation than what Reese has operated under his entire life. So that that's going to be a big adjustment as well. Yeah, they, they were going to have to discover and look, they've been recruiting well enough that they they should have it on the roster. But they, they didn't have a lot of difference-making receivers last year at Alabama. I think that was the frustration. And it's a little unfair because they had just had this incredible bounty of unbelievable receivers for several years. Like, really going back to when they signed Jalen Waddell and Devontae. Probably would have liked to average it out a little bit, huh? Yeah, <laughs> Instead exactly. of having five of them on the roster, at this, five number one receivers in the NFL on the roster at the same time. <laughs> it's a little unfair, a little unfair, but you know, how do you, how do you see Reese working with Saban? I mean, he's worked with Brian Kelly, but, but he's, if you think about it, he's not really worked with a lot of other people. He's, this is pretty limited experience here. Yeah. I mean, his, his professional sort of connections outside of um, Brian Kelly or Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he was with Pat Fitzgerald for a, a season at Northwestern. That's it. Um, so I, that's it's interesting to me because talking to uh, sources on this, like Georgia and Alabama were the two places Reese wanted to go if he was going to stay in college because mm-hmm. that's like the Nick Saban finishing school. Either you're working for Saban or you're working for Saban 2.0. Can we say that with Kirby? Oh, we, we can say that. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, you know, you're getting that same level of professional development. Um, I think that if – Tommy had gone to LSU with Brian Kelly a year ago, it would have been same job, new place staying at Notre Dame, let him sort of branch out a little bit um, where he had more autonomy on, under Marcus Freeman to now go to work for Saban. I think that's sort of the last step in either you're going to be a power five head coach or you're going to be an NFL coordinator um, usually within two years, maybe less. So that's, I give I give Reese some credit because like he had a job at Notre Dame for as long as he wanted it, um, and you go to you go to Alabama, the clock's ticking the second you hit the ground. So, what do you think his end game ultimately is? Would he like to to be in the NFL? Would he like to be a, a Power Five head coach? Where where does this go? I think that uh, highly likely NFL coordinator uh, before Power Five head coach. I think he's open to either, um, but. He is much more of an all ball all the time guy. Um, mm-hmm. I, he does not like dealing with media a whole lot. Um, I think he's sort of learning how to process media criticism and not let it eat him up. I mean, he well, won't have to deal with it at Alabama. Yeah, he's that's, talking that's to him. Upside, He'll be criticized a lot, but he won't guy, have to talk to uh, The guy takes slights very seriously. Um, and, you know, it's, it's he finds motivation in it. But I think ultimately his future is in the pros. I think that could be kind of quick. Um depending on how things go at Alabama. But um, ultimately, I think an NFL OC job is probably the the spot he wants to be. Bill O'Brien had obviously been one before and been an NFL head coach, but Brian Dable did one year at Alabama, went from 
NFL tight ends coach to NFL OC after the year as Alabama's OC. And now you see where he is. So I, I think it's a pretty smart move. If that's the goal, then you do well there and that will be your next stop. You know, I don't want to steer the conversation in a different direction, but maybe I do. Uh, yeah, you do. I just have a question. Because I haven't talked to Pete since the season ended and since signing day and the five stars, the Bowen fiasco and all this stuff. Like, obviously, this is going to be a very important hire for Notre Dame. There's no question. And whoever gets hired is probably going to be propped up for a lot of success early on. Let me, I'll just say th- this is the most important hire Marcus Freeman will make. However long he's at Notre Dame, this is the most important hire. Yeah, this is Dab- this is Dabo hiring Brent Venables. If you're if we're looking yeah. at it, the guy on the other side of the ball from what you do, who might change everything. That's what yeah. that is. Are you on board with it or not? I mean, this is this. I just yeah. I mean, talking to people that know Mark as well, I think that he's treating it that way as well. Um, this but it's is the a- perfect segue to what I was going to say is A, how do you think Marcus did his first year just generally? Um, and and B, as it pertains to this hire and what he wants to do with the offensive talent and the ability to score at a high level, probably more than 25 points a game, uh, how what avenue or what route you know, do you think would be most effective from a recruiting standpoint? Do you think that NFL down that you were talking about helps and like how much of that do you think is all part of this, this thought process as well? I think that Freeman's first year was uneven. He ended it on a make, um, but man, the, the lows, particularly the Stanford game mid season was awful. Um, that's like, you can't, you only get a few mulligans on that kind of stuff. Recruiting. I thought he did a good job, um, definitely from you know our Slack messages where I you would continually refer to as the best class in Notre Dame history. I'm like Ari, okay, like Notre Dame was recruiting under Lou Holtz. This isn't the best class in Notre Dame history, but it, <laughs> they just it, didn't it, have they didn't have 24 yeah. seven at the time to market. No, yeah, I, no. I, but I think I did say uh, Edison, Aaron Taylor, and Bryant Young in one class, and like, those, those guys weren't that good. good. Yeah, <laughs> but, I, I, when I say best of all time. I got to yeah. do a so better job of specifying just the internet yeah. era, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. All, all time in Notre Dame, those things go together. That's, that's a long time in Notre Dame, but yeah, I'd say their 41 class was savage. Oh, they killed it. Uh, I would say that recruiting, they learned some pretty harsh lessons with Keon Keeley, Peyton mm-hmm. Bowen, Dante Moore to another, uh, he was a silent commit to them for a while. Um, how, but I mean, some of that is getting your NIL stuff figured out, which is a, Notre Dame is a ways from that, but I think also it's, and I think you guys maybe touched on this in the Rashad episodes. Um, you got to identify the kids where NIL is their first priority because that's probably mm-hmm. not the kid you're going to get at Notre Dame. If it's your third or fourth, that's fine. Like CJ Carr, he was interested in NIL stuff. I mean, he saw what was going on with Nico and all those deals and they looked into it and decided, you know what? That's not our first priority. Like those are Notre Dame needs to find those kids. It's just a different level of recruiting and evaluation of like what's important to you. And it's on it's on you as a head coach to figure that out. So that's I think some that's a lesson that I think Notre Dame is sort of learning in real time here. Um, but you know, the way that it ended with Keeley, Bowen, and more, like that just expedited, like you gotta get this figured out if you're gonna get to that extra fifteen percent because 
Yeah, because when you say uh, he learned his lesson, it scares me into thinking that there's going to be a smaller pool of Bowen um, Keeley type players that they're going to go after. And really, what was so exciting to me about the beginning of the Freeman era, and when I was referring to it as the best class of and since the beginning of since Adam and Eve, uh, was that uh, they had those guys in the fold at that time, you know, yeah. and it seemed like they were going to be able to sign if they could sign two or three five stars a year, which I don't think is unreasonable for a place like Notre Dame that they would be in a very good position to take that next step. But if their lesson results in, well, we can't go after these guys anymore, then that is a departure of what I thought the Freeman era was supposed to represent. The money up front part is, is hard for Notre Dame. They can't, yeah. they're not getting to that point. Um, so they need to find guys that you can then go to say, Hey, Kyle Hamilton, six, seven figures, Michael Mayer's seven figures. Back in money is huge. If you're good at Notre Dame. That's, yeah. that's the thing that they've, They've got to have somebody blow up that 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 can be the demonstration. And, and Michael Mayer and, and Kyle Hamilton are good good examples now. But they need somebody like a Bryce Young situation to right to, to chicken say, or the egg, huh? Right. So they yeah. can say, "Look at what you get by being a star at Notre Dame." Well, it's like Tyler Buckner. My understanding is did really well in NIL stuff. He started three games. So yeah. it's you just need to be the guy before the season starts. Um, and then that takes care of itself. Well, CJ so Carr might be a perfect uh, representation of what they might need if it goes well with them. There's no doubt. I mean, I think Sam Hartman for just being here a year is like that world of NIL is completely different in Notre Dame than it was at Wake Forest. Somebody needs to rent that kid a Ferrari and have him be seen <laughs> driving up to the, I'm to sure the football Sam's facility. a Ferrari guy. I, w- I want them to have like their, that old like Wake Forest uh, Model T or whatever they drive around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. It, but I, I do think, I mean, Sam sounds like got a, a decent deal, but did not take the highest deal he could take. Yeah. To go to yeah, Notre Dame. Like there were other, like, there, were, there were bigger offers. I think Notre Dame, and I understand, like they don't sort of view themselves as like they need to be the highest bidder. Like they're not trying to get in the same sandbox as Tennessee and AM and Oregon and Miami. And they're okay with that. Um, but when they, you find a guy who NIL is like, this is my third option. Can you give me some, some options here that are competitive? Then like, okay, I still want the degree. I want the development. I want to be part of this network. All, all that, the typical mm-hmm. recruiting stuff. Yeah. You just gotta, I mean, when I talk to Notre Dame coaches about it and I say like, well, what do you guys want from NIL? It's like, they just need it to be an option. Like they got to have something that they can bring and say like, when you come to Notre Dame, this is what's available well, to and, you. And that, but that's the thing. They need to lean into the, the post success, post initial success piece of it. Yeah. Because it can be a monster for the right players at Notre Dame. Like they need to sell the hell out of that. But the problem right now is you're, you're still kind of mostly selling dreams. Like yeah, Alabama has yeah. Alabama has what ha- what happened with Will Anderson and Bryce Young that they can say, look, this happened. You know, Notre Dame needs somebody to be great. Like if Sam Hartman blows up this year and, and it's a boon to him financially, then they've got it. And and in, here's the thing: if he blows up, that means his receivers are going to get famous and popular. Right. That's the, and I mean, that helps the too. Football people want to watch. That people want to invest in. If you're an IL person, like I mean, Notre Dame's they go into the season, their most marketable player, and I marketable air quotes, is Joe Alter, left tackle. Like right. that's whatever. Like 
but, this, but this is one of the few schools. Yeah, this is one of the few schools where if you are good there, you are legitimately famous. Yeah, like that's true. it's it's not. This is not a slight to other schools, but there aren't many in that category. Notre Dame, USC, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, maybe LSU, Penn State, maybe. Like, there just aren't that many schools that can do this. But Notre Dame can do it probably better than anyone if they're willing to lean into it. Notre Dame is Jay-Z, I thought. Yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> Are they Jay-Z or not? You don't think Jay-Z what, got his bag? how Marcus Freeman would describe it. I think you need uh, people above Marcus Freeman on the uh, in the Notre Dame hierarchy. Yeah, Jay-Z, yeah. I mean, it's like you, you sell the Jay-Z thing, but it's like maybe Jay-Z after he was already rich. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like it's like, OK, well, you know, think about all the records he sold and all the stuff that got him his first. You know, he became a billionaire because he was a, a, a business genius and put his. He's not a businessman. He's a business. He's a business man. man. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> have some funds to start with, you know, and it's like that's like the to me, it's like uh, Notre Dame's like. If they're Jay-Z, then you got to figure out a way to get these guys some money very early on and then allow them to cultivate their brand and then use that money to invest. Or just let them meet Beyonce. Yeah, or just bring in Beyonce. I don't know. Whatever. New recruiting coordinator Beyonce. That that would do the trick. She'd whip everybody into shape. I'd play for her. Well, I'd do anything (laughs) she asked me to do. (laughs) We'll be right back after these words. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We got to get to the part that everybody wanted to get to, though. We, we've, we've, you know what that reminded me of, real quick, before you What's go, that? Andy. I'm sorry, yeah. I always do this to you, but of course. Did you know that, like, when you uh, look at YouTube on your phone, uh-huh. if your accounts are connected, that it goes onto other devices? Yes. I didn't know that, and I was like watching videos of Margot Robbie because I'm obsessed with her and would do anything that she asked me to do. <laughs> and Britt oh, no. was like, "Why are there nine Margot Robbie videos on?" <laughs> Wasn't there? Wasn't there a rumor that she was dating a player at Arizona State and Kenny Dillingham retweeted it? That's what Which, started. Which, by the way, is a great recruiting tool Because right the, the internet trend on Twitter where everybody is like, this person's dating Margot Robbie yeah. is what started this. And then my buddy told me that she had this like really cool video of David Blaine doing a magic trick on her. Mm-hmm. And it was like a really like crazy video if you like that. Like David it wasn't, Blaine it wasn't her in stuff. a bathtub explaining no, no. fault swaps. <laughs> no, my, uh, my Margot Robbie... Uh, Pete, you YouTube. haven't seen that movie? What's that? <laughs> the Big Short. Oh yeah, yeah. No, right. but I'm just, I'm trying to say though that my Margot Robbie search history in YouTube wasn't sinister. You know, I don't really think but your that wife YouTube saw it is anyway. the place. But my wife saw it. And she goes, "Why did you keep searching for Margot Robbie?" And I just said, "Listen, if she were in the room right now, I would pretend like I didn't know you." 
<laughs> wow. Well, hey, you gotta you gotta be honest, okay? You know, she likes uh, well, you, she likes you her have celebrities. your laminated card, right? You, you both have your laminated card of like one, like it's the uh, hall pass. Yeah, who you're allowed? Yeah, yeah. She and knows it, Margot Robbie count. would be my okay. would be my choice. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's good that you guys have it arranged and have figured it out. Like, yeah, I just don't think that she's really that worried about it. You know. Yeah, like I'm. She's more far more likely to be able to use her fall yeah. pass. Than I, I I'm more yeah. worried about Jason Momoa than my wife is about Gal Gadot. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's put exactly. it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, we now get to the the, the best part of the show that apparently is going to be every show now, which is much closer to pornography than Margot Robbie ever. That's could right, be. Brian Ferentz's <laughs> new contract. So amended amended contract. And it, for, as the details start to come out on Monday, I'm just like, okay, 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 okay. He loses 50 grand a year. Okay, we, 25 points a game. Nicole asked the great question. Nicole Auerbach on Twitter, she asked, does that also include defensive scores? Because it does, right? It does. Richard Johnson from Sports Illustrated got clarification from Iowa on that. So, they must average 25 points a game, which I believe would put them at number 85 this past season. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they also must win seven games or more than seven games. They, they, I think it's seven or more. Seven yeah. or more. So, and that includes the bowl game. So they don't have to go seven and five. They could go six and six. And it could be rephrased game. as become bowl eligible. This is going to be the Thunderdome, and it is going to be amazing. For the same reason that I talked about, but, but well, okay, I, I should get to the part that, that really matters. So I'm sorry I skipped that. If one of both of those conditions have to be met, if either one of those conditions are not met, Brian Ferentz's contract terminates on June whatever, 2024. If they're both met, it extends. If they're not met, it terminates. The word terminates is so fun. So this he's just is a loser leave town match of a contract. Well, I mean, yeah, listen, the scenarios okay. are endless here. It's just, I mean, okay. Yeah. So let's say, let, let's say Iowa, their offense muddling as always. Yeah. They go to the big 10 championship game and get blown out by Ohio state 49 to zero. Oh. You're going to get it terminated because you won the big 10 West, but had to play in the big 10 championship game. The conditions are the conditions, Pete. Uh, no, I, it's a con- contract. You can always renegotiate, but that this is this is what's so amazing to me because Pete, what we were talking about the other day, what made Iowa's ineptitude on offense so fascinating to me in 2022 was how good Iowa was on defense. They were absolutely elite on defense. I don't think I would have been nearly as interested in how bad their offense was if their defense had just been average. That was like. That was a big part of it. I just imagine, like, so let's say Phil Parker gets another job. Like, is Brian Ferentz screwed at that point? Like, right, right. Now, Miami didn't hire him. They hired Lance Gidry. So, don't, I, I think Phil Parker's safe, and, and he's not going anywhere. But, man, I would just – if I'm Phil Parker, I'm holding that over Brian Ferentz's head every day. Like, I'm making well, the, him wash my the car. Thing that is most interesting about this scenario is that we, as consumers of the sport – have a actual data-driven metric to grade him against. I so want to watch every game now. So like every single time they fail to score 25 points, it's like I feel like if Iowa doesn't score 25 points in a game, he's a failure. Like that's the number. Um, but also, too, if you go and you look at the statistics, you said it would be the 85th best 
uh, offense last year and scoring offense. And also, yeah. when's the last time Iowa didn't qualify for a bowl? Right. So basically, what those metrics are, or what those, uh, you know, contract only, pillars are stating is just be a human being who breathes. They only average 17.7 points this year, and that's including all those defensive scores. But it literally cannot get worse. So also, too, their defensive scoring it can get worse. Oh, yeah. oh, totally. I don't know if it could get worse. If that. their defense is worse, the opponents will hold the ball for longer. They will have the ball for less time in that field position. will like suffer control. Yeah. Rotates out. There's no Michigan. There's no Ohio State. So that that helps. But I mean, they scored 30 points in a game once last season. One time. Rutgers. It was Northwestern. Oh, was it Northwestern? They they scored. They went. They hit the over against Rutgers. I, tw- yeah. I tweeted this after the the contract details were coming out, and you guys are both married, so you get it. I have a laundry list of things that I have to accomplish every single day. Like mm-hmm. I have to go put the crock pot together right after this. I've got to go to target and pick some stuff up. Like I have 10 or 15 around the house errands that I have to accomplish on a given be an adult. This. Yeah. yeah. Being an adult, which I had never been until I was 32. Um, this is the f- wife equivalent of being sweetie. Your expectations for the next week are to flush the toilet and put the seat down and take the garbage out. And then if you do those two things, you pass your expectations. Like this is the football equivalent of the bare minimum. Like Ari, if you if you can't even He didn't flush the toilet or take the garbage out last year. No, I know. He, he left he was, a giant <laughs> steaming turd in the bowl. <laughs> so if the man cannot manage to learn how to flush the toilet, then yeah. we are in a situation. It's the Thunderdome. Like every game we're gonna be watching, and the question is. Do you do you try to run up the score on say Utah State you have to. or Western Michigan? Oh, God, yes. You have yes. It's going to put you a 70, 70 points up. I don't I honestly don't think that Iowa last year could have run the score up on anybody. No. And then and then it's it's pure Thunderdome. The fact that they were the able to game. Ha- Look what what if he's sitting at like an average of 23.5 points a game going into the Nebraska game? And and they're five and they're five and six. Do you know what I want more than anything? I want Iowa to be eight and zero oh and averaging eleven points a game. It'll <laughs> <laughs> be amazing. It'll <laughs> be incredible. Because uh, like that's like the more likely thing. But like honestly, like your contract terminates if you can't flush the toilet. That's that's basically it's, what that says. It is the most interesting contract in the history of college football. I think. Man, I mean, it makes like I, if I was a programmer at the big 10 network, I would have written this contract for Iowa and said like, this right. is what we need to give him. Like we need some more subscribers here. Oh my God. I can't like, I want a running graphic of Iowa's average points per game on the screen during every game. There's gotta be an Iowa fan. That's going to take out a billboard, right? That's going to well, try. Guy, our guy Vaughn, one of our, uh, one of our most dedicated listener slash viewers he he watches us while he's on the tractor on his farm in iowa uh i bet he'll do it so um, here's the thing that's so i'm looking at their schedule next and vaughn right chimes in we won a game seven three and didn't score a touchdown <laughs> i but that am, was against the fcs national champs you know, so you got that going for you iowa's schedule next year okay utah state they should be able to score some but then you get iowa state which is a rock'em sock'em 
Yeah, Low-scoring game Hay- every year. Phil Haycock's not letting you uh, get 25 on him. Then they're he's going like, He's to- like, you're not extending your contract on me, sir. They don't even get out of September without Iowa State, a road trip to Penn State, and a home game against Michigan State, which, even when Iowa's offensively good, are those slogfest-type defensive battles that are you know, 17 to 10 or 17, 14. Like, let's types be of games real. We have, we have no idea what Michigan state's going to be. This there year. is none, yeah, but there's no way that he is going to be averaging right. 25 points through the first month of the season. No, because I'm just yeah. Man, with the I, way that the schedule sets up. So the fact of the matter is, is that we might get into November and they might be averaging like 22.9 points per game going into like the most important month oh, of the year. Here you go. The, the Northwestern game is at Wrigley field. So, so there's be, another take that off the board. Field issues, grass issues. The wind's probably going to be blowing 700 miles an hour. It's then in mid October they go to Wisconsin. <laughs> I don't see a game here where it's like they could score. Like if if Iowa's in a position right now, they close the year out at Nebraska. They play Illinois, who's much improved. So like if they if they are in a position where they can run the score up against somebody, I would say that's an improvement from last year because last year they just couldn't do it. Can you imagine if you're but Phil Parker and you're if you're Phil Parker and you're just sick of all this by the end of the season? Like in the last few games, don't you just tell your DBs like, hey, if you pick a pass off, if you intercept a pass, just take a knee. We're gonna make them. We're gonna make them score. Like we're not gonna go score for them. Just a protest. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah, there's not there's nothing on the schedule that is like. Really bad ver like Notre Dame. They run up the score on New Mexico or Bowling Green. I don't know who Iowa could even attempt yeah. to. Western is Western Michigan a possibility? That's the only one and I like, can what think happens of. Too is that they play Western. Not terrible. Like, they play right. Western Michigan and they score fifty six points against a team like that, and then average fourteen points a game that, in Big Ten play. Is that, that like is good enough? Problem? Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. It should be averaging twenty five points per game in Big Ten play, which he definitely can't do. I feel. I just feel bad for Scott Dockerman. I don't. I, I don't. I think he's. I, 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 this I think is incredible content. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you could keep a running score like the Brian Ferentz scoreboard. Yes, every like, week. Every week, you post a story that says, "Here is what Iowa is averaging in scoring right now," and here's how you know. And here's what went right. Here's what went wrong, yeah, and exactly. how likely it is that they'll be you able to improve that. Three hundred twenty-five points. I mean, I, I want it on. I want it on the screen for every game. I and and as soon as they score, you know, assuming the defense intercepts a pass and, and runs it in, like I want to see the numbers change. Iowa's defense averaged three and a half points a game last year. So the offense averaged fourteen point four. You just fill it in, like you get up to the three hundred twenty-five points, thir- you know, twenty-five points a game times thirteen. Like that's. There needs to be a big display of that on every Iowa broadcast. This is why Pete covers Notre Dame for us. He actually did that in his head, Ari, and it's correct. I don't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> he's talking about to to average to average twenty five a game over thirteen games. You'd have to score three hundred twenty five points. Oh yeah, so he figured out that this is a bad math. We podcast, do it like Pete. We're not going to be showed yeah. up on our own yeah. show. Okay? We can do it like darts, where it just counts down from three twenty five. Do that too. Like I just we I want, should like I create a poster. Game. Like on the, that's how I want it displayed during the Iowa season. Yes, three twenty. Yes, you just have a countdown on the, in the corner of the screen. It yeah. started it, season over. It starts at three twenty five. It just drops with every point they score. And I think that we should come up with something on the podcast where every point Iowa scores, we have to do something. 
So like, so throughout the entire year, like the Andy Staples show will be the official point counter yes. uh, of Iowa football and where they're going. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's not going to be like the duck doing push-ups at Oregon. Should it be ounces of alcohol? I, I don't I'm not worried about alcohol poisoning in that if that's the case. No. Yeah. Four months to get to 325. Well, 49 ounces. ounces of alcohol, I guess, just 48 ounces is four K four beers. You can drink that one, yeah, during one football just, game one and football feel game. just yeah. fine. Yeah. Okay. So maybe it's six drinks per point. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come up with something. It probably won't be that irresponsible. We will come up with something when somewhat sport- irresponsible, but possibly for charity. Let's let's yes. let's think about it in that. Always that. for charity. So, guys, I don't know what Brian Ferentz is going to bring us next. I, I thought when Kirk said that he anticipated no staff changes, that that was going to be the highlight of, of the week. I it, This is the gift that keeps on giving. So I can't wait. Pete, enjoy the drama at Notre Dame. I'm sure they're going to oh, hire dude. an OC between now and when this drops as a podcast because that's how it works. But it's been a pleasure. Always. Thanks, guys. The NFL is unmatched. Elite athleticism. Weekly drama. Millions watching every game day. Billions of dollars in revenue. But among all that attention, money, and success, the league has a critical flaw. In my experience, the NFL does have a a race problem, but more than that, the owners have a race problem. The people who make the hiring decisions, I don't think that they are going to look at two candidates and think the black candidate is clearly superior. What you don't realize is that as you're going through all of that, the stress it puts you on, it's like somebody beating you down every day. The thing is, it has to be player level. We call it the NFL, but the 32 owners, like, we can't sit here and say, like, this is important to all 32 of those guys. Football teams hated it. You know, issues like the National Anthem, kneeling for the National Anthem, issues like players speaking out in protest. Watching Roger Goodell, like, get on TV and, you know, try to sound like (laughs) he with it. We know there's a definite limit on this allyship, right? I wasn't a big fan of the NFL because of what I had to go through and the way it was I looked up on it and I just felt like I was fed up with the NFL. I'm Tashawn Reed, the host of a new podcast series from The Athletic called Between the Lines. The series details how America's biggest game has grappled with America's biggest issue. From the players who weigh the risks of being socially active in the wake of Colin Kaepernick, to coaches and executives vying for equal opportunities, to a league and owners who have failed to support and promote diversity. The series includes exclusive interviews from Ladanian Tomlinson, Doug Williams, Jason Wright, and several more players, coaches, and front office executives across the game. Look for Between the Lines starting on February 14th on The Athletic Football Show every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts.